will likely never definitely know who this man is. And yet, he needs no introduction. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. I'm Amber. <laughs> go ahead, Chris. And I'm Chris. There we go, yes. <laughs> nice! Join- <laughs> Joining us today is special guest, the man who has spent 30 years researching Jack the Ripper and probably knows far more than those of us who have spent three days, is Chris Garcia, a.k.a. Johnny Eponymous. Great to be here, people. I mean, here, not there, where y'all are here, where I am. <laughs> I bet it's great to be there. <laughs> oh, so yes, uh, we are going to be doing Jack the Ripper this week, next week, and the following week. So, uh, but first, let's do Rays of Light. Uh, Chris, going to put you on the spot. What's your Ray of Light? You know, I have so many that I've been, you know, reading about the murders in Whitechapel, but that's not really a way of light as much as, so I paint. It's one of the things I do, I make paintings. And uh, so I made a painting for a talent show we do at work because apparently we're a kindergarten class. (laughs) And uh, one of the people who saw me do the painting said, uh, yeah, I'd like to buy your painting. And I'm like, well, that's cool. That's the most money I've ever made in one minute. And because I don't take any effort. And yeah, it was great. So I sold a painting. for more money than I've had in my hands in a decade. So. Damn! <laughs> nice. Good job. That's awesome. That is a ray of light. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That means I can finally afford that operation. I, I think you're joking. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Amber, what's your ray of light? I'm printing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what's your ray of light? I, uh, you know what? I am just looking forward to quitting my job. This is my last week. Uh, I quit not, not tomorrow, but my last day of work is one week from tomorrow. But I think I'm going to call in sick tomorrow and probably Saturday. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, Sunday I may go to work. I haven't decided yet, but I'm definitely using some float time on Monday. So I'm not going to work Monday either. And I'm kind of debating whether I should even go to work on my last day. (laughs) Well, I think you have to to get your paycheck. So definitely the last day. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. But already I'm getting like a couple of nasty emails, you know, some passive aggressive emails from me quitting. I'm okay with it. Whatever. (laughs) That supervisor never liked me anyway. Forward them to me. I could use a laugh. (laughs) Will do. Will do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Amber, what's your ray of light? Uh, My ray of light is that I went on vacation with my family and everyone survived. Uh, And and that sounds just like, okay. But um, my two-year-old threw himself off of a bridge. And my oldest got sucked out to riptide and had to get rescued by a lifeguard. Oh, my God. (laughs) So it was actually like everything worked out. Everybody was okay. 
but I'm I'm happy to be home with everybody alive. <laughs> oh wow, damn! That I'm glad that everybody survived. Jeez, they must have really got your blood pressure going with all those near misses. Well, and then, like, the next day after my daughter got rescued, I tried to buy her a lifeguard hoodie, and she threatened my life. She's like, no. And I was like, <laughs> too soon? Like, <laughs> Oh, I love it. Best part, uh, in my opinion, the lifeguard's name was Foxy. Uh, uh, male or female? Male. Huh. And, like, we had asked the, the other lifeguard if they had sent, like, a signal that everything was okay. And she's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Foxy has her. He's the best. Try not laughing. Like, even with my child in danger of, like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Well, good job, Foxy, on saving Amber's eldest. <laughs> uh, my ray of light is also my source of anxiety that uh, the new podcast, Detectives by the Decade, came out this week, officially today, the very first episode Go give that a listen uh, and check it out. I've been really, really enjoying making it, and I'm just so appreciative of the help I've been getting from from Amber and Scott too, and also I've been getting some encouragement from other quarters. So yeah, that's that's been my my ray of light. But it also makes me it makes me so nervous because you you put something out there in the world for the first time, and before you put it out there, you're like, yeah, this is okay. This is like, yeah, I think I did a good job. And then as soon as you put it out there, you're like, oh my god, everybody's gonna think I'm stupid. That's how I feel about putting my own picture on Facebook. <laughs> so yeah, you know it can... I'm going to subscribe right now. Awesome. I think everybody yeah. should follow in Chris's footsteps and subscribe. <laughs> Done. So, well, somebody who didn't have two true crime podcasts, but did have a lot of true crime podcasts about him, probably more than anyone, is Jack the Ripper. Bom, so, <laughs> this was the very first entry on our case list when we first started, you know, developing the show. So this is this is kind of a big moment. Yay! <laughs> Happy birthday to us. Eight people died. Yeah. <laughs> this week we'll be. I can't remember if I said this before or not, but this week we'll be covering the timeline, the investigation, and the letters. Next week, we're going to do a deep dive on the victims. And then the final week, week three of Jack the Ripper, not month, but three weeks, uh, we will be doing uh, uh, looking into the suspects, as many and varied as they are. So that's what you have to look forward to. So Jack the Ripper, he was the first big criminal to blow up in the media, really. Uh, the there are arguments back and forth as to how many victims he had, but generally most people believe that there were five women. Now, those are the canonical five that were murdered between August 31st and November 9th of 1888 in the Whitechapel neighborhood of London. Uh, at the time, though, lots of people believed that the total victims were actually nine. It wasn't until later years with more research that they sort of ferreted them out. Uh, the other one to six more that are possible are uh, February 25th to December 9th. I have 1888, but I believe I saw some 1889s on my research. I thought I did, too. 
and the latest one was 1890. 1890 uh, even, okay. Yeah, um, they were back and forth. The Police Gazette uh, was always saying, is this a new Ripper killer uh, all the way up through 1890? Oh, of course, of course. So the five canonical victims are mainly connected by the, the modus operandi here. You have, of course, uh, we know they're women, Everybody pretty much knows that Jack the Ripper tended to target uh, sex workers. It was the same neighborhood of East London, and it was generally in the slums. So you have some of the more most vulnerable members of society. These murders happened at night. There was no sexual assault, at least as far as uh, the police were aware, although they didn't have as you know ways of <laughs> checking that uh, that we do now. There was a definite pattern of escalation. Essentially, as you're learning about the Jack the Ripper murders, you just you started a low level of nausea, and it just increases, increases, increases until you never want to eat again. Yay! There's your yeah. Weight Watchers diet. <laughs> <laughs> One yeah. of the weird things is that we're now starting to reexamine a lot of the the suppositions we had. For one thing, we're not sure they were all actually sex workers. Mm. One of the things is we know two of them, one definitely had been previously. One was actively a sex worker. But one of the thoughts is that it's less important whether or not they were actually sex workers than if the killer thought they were sex workers. The example that I use is if you were a serial killer in 1970 San Francisco in the Castro district and you went into a gay bar. It didn't matter if the person you decided to murder was gay or not. You assumed they were. Ah, that's a really good comparison. And then in that area where uh, sex work was, was pretty, you know, there was a high population of sex workers, that assumption would be a lot easier to make. Yeah, and there's also the whole, the whole idea that we sort of lost is this idea of casual sex work. It's like, I need, you know, a couple of bucks for a burger. Nowadays, it's not really, oh, let's go out and do some sex work. Um, but then it was definitely an aspect. Oh, God, I could have been so rich. Yeah. <laughs> I could have had so many cheeseburgers. <laughs> um, the victims were generally drunk at the time of the attack. And then as for the actual attack, it seemed like he would... Uh, what it appeared to be uh, was that the women lifted up their skirt... Uh, so their hands were full, and then they can't defend themselves. Although, you know, you can drop a skirt pretty easily, but they, they probably had, like, several layers on. And then it seems to be that he strangled them so that they couldn't scream. Then he would put them on the ground. He didn't, like, throw them down. He didn't drop them. He would just lay them out. Uh, there was no bruising on the back of heads. Uh, and he would, did this, uh, many theorize, so that when he would then cut the throat... It, it would avoid the blood getting on him because the blood would go downward rather than, you know, come at him. Uh, and then usually uh, mutilation would follow that and uh, frequently taking of a trophy. And the trophies are gruesome as well, of course. Why not? I mean, you know, no one... What's this little teddy bear for? That's whenever I murdered a hooker in the alley behind the... Uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really work in the other direction. And, oh, oh yeah, this teddy bear. This teddy bear is whenever I uh, I ate one of their kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> little well, something, the just a little something to remember the night by. 
The uh, the acid bath murderer, remember, he had, like, pictures of people he murdered on the mantle in his hotel room. Mm -hmm. Weird. Well, the compositions were really what made him keep them. It wasn't, wasn't the fact that it was of the murder. It was just, they were well put together. Yeah. <laughs> He's really got a good eye. <laughs> All right, so let's delve into the timeline uh we're going to start with the very first of the canonical five mary ann nichols aka she was sometimes known as Polly. this one happened on friday august 31st 43 years old uh, she was uh drinking at the frying pan pub it's a good name for a pub i like it uh, <laughs> everybody knows i'm a pub name enthusiast <laughs> And she was seen there around 12.30 a.m. on August 31st, 1888. She goes to her lodging house at 18 Thrall Street, and she's looking for a bed, but she doesn't have the money, so they're like, nah, sorry. And she replies, quote, I'll soon get my DOS money. See what a jolly bonnet I'm wearing? Apparently the bonnet was to attract the men. I see. Um, <laughs> you know, little side note here. I actually found out the cheapest lodging available at that time was a penny. And it was available to sailors who had had too much to drink. And what it was was they would string a rope up and you would pass out over the rope. And that's where the term being hung over comes from. You were hung over the rope for a penny. I really feel like you're putting me on. No, it's true. Even weirder, though, cheaper was sleeping on the street. Yeah, doesn't and, even cost a penny. Yeah, and that is called, uh, at the time, they called it sleeping rough. And that actually plays a big part in current thinking of Ripper lore, but we'll get to that as we go along. <laughs> so ominous, I love it. <laughs> so Marianne Nichols goes out to make some money, and around 2.30 a.m., she's seen at Osborne Street and Whitechapel Road by her friend Emily Holland. Nichols is pretty, she's several sheets to the wind at this point. And so she gets pretty defiant when Holland's like, you know, maybe, maybe you should just go back to the lodging house. You know, it's late at night. And she's like, well, I made my money three times over and I spent it three times over. So I'm going to go make some more money. And uh, she said, quote, it won't be long before I'm back, end quote. And that's the last known words that we uh, are aware that she spoke to anyone. There's probably some more that she spoke to, but the person she spoke to is not going to tell us. So, you know, what? Though they still use that trope in, in horror movies. Like, you never say, I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's right. Bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm just gonna go down to the basement and check, you know, see see if that's where the noise came from. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh so her body is discovered. It doesn't take very long, around 3 40 a.m. uh that uh Friday, August 31st, in a gateway at Bucks Row at Whitechapel. And it's found by there's a, a carter. I did not look this up because I had a feeling it was going to be hard to Google. So who knows what a carter is? Does it have something to do with horses? Uh, carts. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's not like he was called a horser. Um, <laughs> no, so. that's, that's somebody who visits whores, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this carter's name is Charles Cross. He's on his way to work. And he sees this something in the road. 
there's not a lot of lighting. So he's like, well, maybe that's something I can use. He goes to check it out, and it is not something he can use. It is Well, technically, he probably could have used it. Probably wouldn't <laughs> want to. And it would have been really easy because it... her skirts were up. That is true. Yes, they were up uh, just about to her waist. Charles Cross goes and he grabs another Carter. There's just Carters all over the place, apparently. Uh, it's Carters up to my eyebrows and Carters. And they do actually like like touch her and find that she's either dead or near dead. They think maybe they might see a little bit of breathing going on with her chest, but they're not sure. They don't see the injuries that we're going to get into. And with these injuries... I really think the fact that they don't see them speaks very strongly to the lack of lighting. If they're close enough to touch her, that really says something. Why Why is all this spaghetti and raw meat here? <laughs> right? Dear God. Well, also, why is her head barely attached to her body? <laughs> the sheer volume of cloth that uh, was there. Actually, I can almost understand. I mean, there were like if you look at the list of all the things that were on her body, it's just like a massive amount uh, black straw bonnet, reddish brown ulster, whatever that is, a linny frock, white flannel chest cloth, black ribbed wool stocking, two petticoats, uh, brown stays, flannel drawers, and men's elastic boots. And her boots are phenomenal, by the way. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's, I can understand with the, the torso area, but her throat was cut and they didn't see that. Maybe they mistook it for a scarf because it seems lots of women were wearing scarves around their necks. It was just an oversight. Yeah, just an oversight. Um, so well, yeah. if she had two petticoats, I mean, didn't some of the petticoats latch right at the neck? I think some did. Most went to the waist though, I think. I think. I'm not an expert, although I do find myself getting entranced by it. They have these videos on YouTube that show um, the, the the garb of people of yore. <laughs> you know, the time period yore. And yeah. it's basically getting dressed. So they show you these people, you know, like the, the person gets up, they splash water in their face, maybe they put some oils or something on there, a servant does their hair, and they start getting dressed and putting all these layers on, which is how I learned that the women in some eras had the, the pockets were actually detached they would tie those around their waist and then the skirts would go on over that but there were like little slits in the skirts where they could slip their hands into the pockets and that is delightful to me because we have a serious lack of pockets okay so i take it all back because i obviously did not know what a petticoat was i thought it was an actual fucking coat it is not so my bad. I don't know what, what ladies' uh, clothing looks like. <laughs> yeah, I think we can well, think of it as like an underskirt that generally tended to give volume to the overskirts. Yeah. But she was wearing a coat. An ulster is actually one of those coats that has – it's a coat, like a whole coat, but then it has that little capelet around the top. Oh. So I'm, maybe if I'm wearing a – I'm wearing a T-shirt and shorts. That's it. This sounds like a lot to just not be naked. Yeah, and this was August, too. So it, it really, clothing was super complicated, even when you didn't need the extra layers just to keep you warm. <laughs> but still, those videos, I highly recommend them. Oh, my. I, I'll put it on our social media because they're just, I, I, I get just absolutely entranced. It's one of those little rabbit holes I can fall down for days. So 
Uh, All right. The great things if you're in London, go to the National Portrait Gallery. I think on the first Thursdays, maybe it's the first Fridays, and they do things where they have dressings uh, to <gasps> match the paintings. And I was there. They did sixteenth uh, or seventeenth century. Uh, dressing, so I got to see all the people and they're like pantaloons and they're wasame giggers and, and <laughs> right in front of paintings that were representing the clothing they had. Now, are awesome. these people, are they already dressed or is it like the YouTube videos where they dress them? It's where they dress them and then after they're dressed, if you get there late, you're scrawled, but uh, you actually get to see them like talk about the paintings, but they show them dressing while in the early part of the thing and it's so much fun. There's also oh booths. Uh, this is everything. This is this is everything to me. The only thing that could make it better is if I could be one of those people. And also have booze. I have friends. <laughs> oh, hook me up whenever we can, you know, go places that aren't our houses again. <laughs> Wait, there are other places other than our houses? No, no, Scott, there aren't. No. Oh. <laughs> the outside world does not exist. All right. Magic. Oh, that's, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm barely going to be able to concentrate because just be thinking about how wonderful that is, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take oh. the photos. It's really cool. Yes, please do. I would love that. Okay. So, uh, police constable, who I will sometimes abbreviate PC as it generally is, uh, John Neal, uh, he comes, he, there's, the, the Carters went and they were like, let's go find a policeman on our way to work if we happen to meet one and but they do pull her skirts down for modesty's sake so at least there's that but they were just kind of like and eh, she'll keep you know <laughs> <laughs> so we do actually have pc john neal finding the body on patrol he had been there half an hour ago and that body had not been there so we do have a time frame that he's able to establish he sends for dr llewellyn and then we get the injuries uh there were two deep cuts to her throat. Um, her lower abdomen was cut and she was essentially disemboweled. But it's like Chris said, they didn't even notice that right off. It wasn't until she was at the mortuary. It's essentially because you're wearing like the lasagna of clothes. Just fucking layers upon layers upon layers. Fuck that. <laughs> Scott is not on board with the 19th century dressing. <laughs> Nor should anyone be. That's an irrational <laughs> amount of clothing for August. I agree. I agree. I, I agree. As much as I love the, the clothing, I feel like you would be sweltering in that getup. So uh, speaking of sweltering, or not sweltering really, uh, the body temperature, uh, it's at around 4 a.m. Dr. Llewellyn says she's probably been dead about half an hour. The, the, the body and legs are warm, but the hands are cold. So uh, some sources say that if you do the math, uh, that means when Charles Cross found her, the murder could have still been in the area very easily it could have he, he might have found her just like very soon after she was murdered especially since one of the carters thought that they saw her just you know some very shallow breaths so that's um creepy now was charles yeah. ever considered a suspect yes quite quite strongly initially yeah yeah because mm. that's that would be the first thing it's like oh here's this dude he killed her and then somebody caught him hey, come help me that I mean, that would be the first thing that pops to my mind. Yeah, and the the thing is that is really odd if you look at sort of this area of Whitechapel, 
it is like a two-dimensional habit trail of twists and turns. It's every thing that Labyrinth was in like a 100 square foot segment. Um, this was not an area where you could see every angle. And odds are he was around at that point because the window was very narrow. It's probably as little as five to ten minutes. And, and at the time, you couldn't even trust maps because cartographers at the time who, who did like maps of the city, they were very protective of their maps. And what they would do if somebody would copy one of their maps, the cartographers would put one or two fake streets on the fucking maps, like streets that just did not exist to prove that they were their maps. <laughs> Sneaky bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Don't trust cartographers in general. They're just shitty humans. Absolutely <laughs> agreed. And yet I love maps so much. <laughs> Sorry to all the cartographers listening. Yeah, all three of them can go fuck themselves. I mean nothing. <laughs> and they so can draw fun. the they can draw the map to find out where. <laughs> oh goodness. So Buck's Row, where Nichols was found, it kind of swings around and becomes Winthrop Street. Um, it's very, very short. And on Winthrop Street, there is a horse slaughterer. What were they slaughtering horses for? Probably Buckers. food. Probably food. Glue. Yeah, that's kind of. Was there a lot of glue being made? Because there were oh, yeah. three oh. horse slaughterers. That seems like you know. <laughs> Well, it was a horse slaughter district. It was a very important part of Victorian times was to be able to make a lot of horses dead. Um, that was the leading thing in Whitechapel, I think, was uh, was prostitution and horse slaughtering. I know there was a lot of animal slaughtering, but when I read that, I just immediately went to the livestock that we generally consider food. Um, but, you know, horses, I guess, if they're, if it's, no, I, I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> We've got enough gross stuff coming up. Don't you worry. If you were a prostitute married to a horse slaughterer, that was what was called the Victorian power couple. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there, at this horse slaughterer's work, uh, three men, Harry Tompkins, James Mumford, uh, no relation to Mumford and Sons, Charles Britton, uh, or maybe, uh, and they had not heard anything. Uh, about all this hubbub going on very close to them, but a policeman happened by and told them. And so they go to the scene to check shit out. And of course, when you do that, you end up as a suspect for a little while. So they got interrogated, but then they were let go. There was a night watchman named Patrick Mulshaw uh, around 4.40 a.m. Uh, he's told by a stranger, quote, watchman, old man, I believe somebody is murdered down the street, end quote. Um, so he does. He goes to the scene as well, but they're never able to find out who told him that. So that's kind of curious. Hmm. 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 Uh, the Nick Nichols clothing is really just soaked with blood. They, they find out when they pick her up. And there's about, uh, underneath her, there's about a six-inch diameter pool of it. So not really, that's not a lot. I mean, it really must have soaked into all those layers of clothing. And one of the theories on that is that she actually wasn't uh, assaulted standing up. That she was actually trying to sleep. 
and uh, Jack the Ripper comes along, goes, oh, look, a perfectly fine woman sleeping on the ground. Uh, may as well rip her uh, and ripped her. And at that case, it would cause, uh, since you're not standing, your blood is settling down more and you're already in the positioning. Now, there's some issues with this, of course, the uh, bruising on the neck, but that could just be he grabbed her to hold her down so that when he made the second cut, because uh, there are two cuts, and the second one was far more dangerous than the first. And it's likely that the... It's quite possible that almost all of the victims were actually lying down. That the old idea that you would lift the skirt either in the front uh, if you wanted to uh, provide front penetration or the back if you wanted to uh, make an extra pence. Uh, but it seemed more like with modern forensic uh, analysis of the notes that survived that she was probably lying down. That is... You you raise a really interesting point that might actually kind of solve something for me that's been bothering me. And so, yeah, I, I did read that it seemed like he would make sure all the victims were laying down before he did any cutting, generally. Um, and I was wondering, like, because to strangling them you, they don't scream so then it's quiet and you're less likely to get caught and then also we have you know it's 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 doubly handy to him because you also have the you don't get that arterial blood spurt uh or at least if you do it goes you know gravity helps you out a little bit there so i have to wonder if because I was, I was just thinking how did he come upon this method did he just think about it a lot or maybe he came upon it by accident he just saw her laying there and was like there we go. And it worked out sort of in his favor. He was like, oh, well, there was no scream. There was no, you know, blood spur. This could work. Yeah, I don't think he had a lot of like, a, I don't think he had a R&D department really working on this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty sure. He was just like, by Jove, I think I've got it. I got a brand new way of killing people. Yeah, that, that really was it, curious though. to me. Cool. Well, that would have required him giving his name, which would have helped out a lot. <laughs> would have saved some people some time. Um, there was some speculation because uh, there was such a small amount of blood actually on the scene that maybe he had killed her elsewhere and then brought her there. But uh, it really, it, the blood in her clothes told the story. And also, that seems silly. Like, you're, you're going to be far more likely to get caught if you transport the body out in the open than if you just leave it there and run away. You know? I've, I've had to move a sex doll before. It's not easy. That's dead weight <laughs> that can't assist you. <sighs> so, uh, <laughs> and moving on. <laughs> we just, we just, I mean, I know the story, but still, we just breeze right past that. <laughs> Uh, once at the mortuary, they do finally notice the disembowelment, but before they can do an examination, the clothes are stripped right off of her and the body is washed. It's just kind of like there's two attendants and they're just like, I guess, on autopilot. They're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's strip her down, wash her up. And the policemen are like, shit. Man, we wanted that. God, God <laughs> yeah. damn. You going to eat that? Oh, <laughs> oh. no. So, all right, they, the policemen start uh, asking around to local residents. They get the beginnings of an ID on her, 
then they actually uh, they they see there's a workhouse mark on her petticoats and that leads them to a fellow resident of that workhouse who says yeah that's mary nichols or polly as she's sometimes known initially the murder was blamed on a local gang they had these gangs that their deal was uh they would blackmail sex workers and if the sex workers refused to go along with it then they would kill them essentially so nice guys they sound like lovely lovely yeah that's a that's one way of curbing crime more crime yeah it's a very <laughs> british sensibility <laughs> yeah. this same gang was also blamed for two other recent murders uh emma smith on april 3rd and martha tabram on august 7th and they are also were considered once you know jack the ripper got his start people kind of fished back to those murders and they were like oh maybe those were ripper murders so we'll get into those when we discuss the victims uh, yes. and in a heartbreaking moment uh they find her father and her husband who she is estranged from her husband comes to say his goodbyes and he says quote i forgive you as you are for what you have been to me end quote fuck i know that was that was heart-wrenching to me mm. i didn't expect this to be such a downer mm. what's oh, no. murder? <laughs> So as for the police, we're going to delve into that a little bit here, just because it kind of, from this murder, it kind of stretches out over time. So rather than sprinkle it out through the timeline, we'll just kind of get into that uh, a little bit before we get to the second murder. Um, Inspector Frederick George Aberline. Look, there were a bunch of cops on this. I just picked the one that they were like, oh, this guy, he knows the neighborhood and he was promoted over there, but we grabbed him back. So there's there's lots of other people involved. Don't think that he was like the main dude, but he was quickly seen as the main dude because he had uh, 14 years of experience patrolling this particular neighborhood. He knew, you know, he knew the people and the criminals. And so since witness evidence was their main source of information because they didn't have a lot going on forensically at the time, uh, and what they did have going on, they liked to not use <laughs> to its best effect. Oh, fuck it. Jesus Christ. There's so many pieces of evidence. It's too many choices. Get rid of half of it. Yeah. Go ahead. Just you know, we... that part away. We don't, we don't need that. This this piece of paper that has like the killer's ID on it. What are we ever going to use that for? Toss. <laughs> you know, we have these things that take pictures of stuff. Should we use these to actually like record the crime? No, no, no. Do I look like I'm made of money, officer? <laughs> it's one of the reasons why the police hated Sherlock Holmes stories was because it legitimately made it look like they were lazy layabouts. And that Sherlock Holmes was willing to go down and chase down leads? What's that? No. <laughs> I think I think part of the one of the most fascinating things I found is that like when they would do sketches, they wouldn't take the witness accounts. They would just make it look as badass as they could because they thought it was cooler that way. <laughs> I, I think probably the most accurate representation uh, of police work that you can find 
is of a recent TV show. It's the first episode. It's called Year of the Rabbit with the delightful Matt Berry as uh, Police Constable Rabbit. Um, and his nemesis goes in. There's a murder victim lying there. A whole crowd is around them. And this, his nemesis, another police officer, comes in and goes, Hmm, the victim's wearing blue. That man in the crowd is wearing blue. Arrest him. I've solved the case. <laughs> that very much feels like what's going on here. <laughs> so, yeah, they did send out more men to the East End to keep an eye out and see if they could figure out what was going on. The, these policemen would question uh, lots of men they considered suspicious, and this kind of ended up... Uh, it made them lazy, I guess, because it, it didn't really work. They weren't able to find, you know, anything except just constantly questioning and bringing in men who it turned out to be false leads. So eventually they were just like, eh, just, that guy looks really suspicious and he's got blood all over his hands. And hey, what's that knife in his hand? You know, it didn't work the last time we talked to the guy, so it's not going to work this time. <laughs> in their defense, and I hate to play like defense right now, but in their defense, you got a lot of people working in slaughter shops at the time. It's not really uncommon to see someone covered in blood carrying a knife. That, that is fair. true. Yeah, yeah. There was that, that was considered one of the reasons that he was able to uh, get away so easily is just because it didn't seem as unlikely as it would today. If you saw a guy running down the street with blood on his hands today, you would have far different thoughts than if it's in an area with a lot of slaughterhouses and where slaughtering animals is just kind of part of a daily life. My first thought is, fuck, I live in Johnstown again, don't I? Yeah. Uh, at some point, uh, we have a detective, Sergeant Robinson, who is said to have gotten dolled up in women's clothes. He was trying to entice the Ripper to attack him. Why? And also said that Every fucking serial killer. Why does one? There's like one or a group of policemen that decide, I know what I'll do. Shave my legs. Shave my pits. I'm a lady now. <laughs> it's just like it's, they wanted to do it anyway, and it was a great excuse to do it publicly. I guarantee that's what it was. We had the same thing in the deep repressed South in Texarkana with the Moonlight Murders. Yep. <laughs> and journalists would do this as well. So you had just lots of men running around in women's clothing uh, trying to, you know, like basically given giving the bedroom eyes to every suspicious-looking man they saw instead of actually going up to them and questioning them. Well, now we have drag shows that we can do this. Back then, not so much. So it was like, you know what? I'm going to help solve a crime. Yeah. The <laughs> better one, though, is that there were people who were placing ads saying, my wife is willing to make herself available to lure the Ripper out. Also <laughs> known as, I really want to get her out of the house and preferably into the death <laughs> wow some people will take advantage of any situation <laughs> some people do not like being married <laughs> yes it's what we call a now, white chapel divorce <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm i'm keeping that forever that's amazing white I'm, chapel divorce mm -hmm. i'm writing it down for for the episode title now I don't have to do that work. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I love it when we catch it during the episode. <laughs> uh, so they, the home office also does not offer any reward because they had stopped. They, they had offered rewards for a while, 
but then eventually they stopped because various reasons that was a complicated road that we're not really gonna gonna travel too far down but essentially the police commissioner warren i think it is warren right chris yeah uh thank you um police commissioner warren was of the opinion that it would just give you all kinds of liars calling in trying to get that money the local businessmen in the area and residents, people who were afraid that this was going to cut down on uh, their, their earnings, formed the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. Uh, they offer a reward, and they did their own patrols, too. So you have some community action going on. That's, that's good to see. <laughs> I'm sorry. I haven't thought about that in years. There, there used to be, there used to be this, this guy on the radio named Phil Hendry. And Phil Hendry would have the most ridiculous guests on. And one of his guests that he would have on was the uh, captain of the Citizens Auxiliary Police, which was essentially just a bunch of people that, that, that rode around in uniforms and were nuisances to the actual cops. And that's kind of what I'm seeing here. If you get the chance, listen to Phil Hendry. It's fantastic. People would call in and go, what the fuck are you doing? Why, why did you bludgeon that four-year-old across the head? I saw him steal a candy bar. You know, stuff like that. What what the people calling in didn't realize, it was just Phil Hendry doing a voice. <laughs> I, I remember you making me listen to several episodes of that. You needed a drive, and I needed to listen to something. And I remember you one night being very impressed as Phil was having a four-way conversation with himself. Yes, it was really impressive, actually. <laughs> Now, as the murders would progress and get more vicious and brutal, that escalation we mentioned earlier, the press and, and the public were criticizing the police very heavily. It actually got to the point where Bram Stoker, uh, he, he put uh, a detective of the Metropolitan Police into Dracula as the hero, but he was so pissed at how many fuck-ups there were in the investigation that he was like, nah, uh -uh, not doing it. He, he edited that out. Damn. That had to be a pain in those days. Editing's bad enough when we have technology and we can just, you know, delete things, but on paper? <laughs> With handwriting? The man had his convictions. And he was real mad. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Annie Chapman was on September the 8th. That was a Saturday. She was 46 years old, and she made her living through crochet work and also made artificial flowers, and it said some sex work, but as this is, uh, Chris, you were saying that there, there are questions as to that. I would say she's likely to be one of the ones where I would have questions as to whether that's actually true. Yeah, I think she is probably the least likely to have regularly engaged in sex work i don't know have, have, you, have you ever been with a woman who's crocheting while you do it it's amazing <laughs> fuck i wish i could say no <laughs> <laughs> right and afterwards you put some some paper flowers in your hair like the crochet needles it it, it has a sense know? of danger right <laughs> like, ooh, we might get stabbed <laughs> Uh, well, she did have what, what they say she had two regulars, one who was said it spent weekends with her. He had things to say about that to the negative. But uh, 
witnesses said otherwise. Now, in September 1888, she was not doing real great for Annie Chapman. She had gotten into a fight with another woman at a pub a few days uh, prior to the murder. And I believe, if I remember correctly, and we can delve more into this in the victims episode, but I'm pretty sure it had to do with a bar of soap. Mm-hmm. All right, so they were fighting over a bar of soap, essentially. Uh, and poor Annie Chapman, she got the, the worst end of this brawl. And she said that she felt uh, like she was too sick. She couldn't really do much of anything, but she kind of had to. Uh, she said she was going to, quote, pull myself together and get some money, end quote. She didn't have anywhere to sleep at this point, and that bore itself out at 1.35 a.m. on September 8th. She goes to the lodging house, and she is denied. Uh, so she's like, well, I'll be back. This That's a little bit of a pattern there. And then... At uh, she's seen by Elizabeth Long outside 29 Hanbury Street, uh, and there's a man with her. He says uh, he's overheard to say, "Quote, will you?" And Annie Chapman replied, "Yes, I don't actually have the time for that." Hmm. I have heard it between uh, 4:45 and 5. I think that is really late in the timeline because the sources are kind of all over the place i would go so far as to say the information is widely varied <laughs> would you would you perhaps chris would you say sources very widely oh <laughs> yes i would <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you for that information because I wasn't, uh, I, I guess I just slipped up and forgot to write down the time. I had a lot of times on here. I also eventually, uh, do, actually within one hour of starting my research, uh, I was looking up fucking moon phases. So you, you know where I went. <laughs> yes, I'm one of those people. <laughs> but you know what? Like I know when, when my husband guesstimates time without looking at a clock, he's usually several hours off. Because yes. he does that all the time. He's like, Kennedy woke up at like 5 a.m. And I'm like, it was 2.45. He's like, also like, he spends like two hours in the shower. That's true. <laughs> so not really, time is not really something he follows closely. It is not a concern for him. <laughs> not really. And the, the funny thing is here, people are much more concerned with time at this point for two very simple reasons. Trains. And it is a sign of wealth that if you are able to know what time it is, it shows that you have devices that allow you to keep time. Now, at this point, you're also getting cheapish pocket watches and even wristwatches to a degree. So that allows you to have that ability to make yourself look like you are important and rich, even if you are living in the middle of nowhere. That is really fascinating. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I was kind of thinking, I was like, everybody knows what time it is. Half the time I'm like, I mean, granted, we're in special circumstances, but half the time I'm like, is it June? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't even know what day it is on any given time. Like, I, I, it doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't matter anymore. So, like, I don't pay attention. What day is it? <laughs> it is Thursday. Like Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. I say, someone give me a fine fat goose for my goodly wife. 
That's a fair trade. Yeah, that is nice. Nice. Very nicely done, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, you two are the new comedy duo. I love it. Yes. So Annie Chapman, the next time she is seen is at 6 a.m. on Saturday, and she is not alive. John Davis lives at 29 Hanbury Street, where she was last seen alive, and he, she's basically in the backyard of that house. I mean, that's that's rough. Yeah. Yes. Ham, it is. Hanbury sound like some sort of anal polyp problem. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah. I shouldn't have asked. That's... <laughs> nope. nope, you shouldn't have. Should have let it go, Christy. I really need to learn from my mistakes. Um, God didn't the... want that to happen, but Satan let me back in the room. God damn it, <laughs> Satan. Uh, the crowds gather around the scene pretty quickly. By 6.30 a.m., there's several hundred people. Inspector Joseph Chandler actually uh, clears the people and sends for reinforcements as well as the police surgeon. And he covers the body until the doctor can get there, which seems like a, a true act of, you know, either compassion or just trying to avoid having too much, uh, you know, fear running around the neighborhood or maybe a combination of both. What's fascinating about this murder is one it's another case of this time they knew she was dead from the get-go. Uh, but what's fascinating is how much stuff she had with her. Uh, a long black coat down to her knees, a black skirt, brown bodice, another bodice, two bodices, uh, petticoats, a large pocket worn under the clothes. Hey! Uh, yes, lace-up boots, not as nice as the other ones. Uh, red and white striped woolen stockings, uh, which was apparently a sign that a woman was a prostitute at the time. Huh. I have seen that noted differently a couple of places, but striped stockings were usually an indicator that a woman was available. Uh, a neckerchief, uh, three recently acquired brass rings, um, which a lot of places will note as being very symbolic of stuff, but I think she just had three brass rings. Um, a scrap of muslin likely would have been used as a menstrual pad. Uh, a small comb, another comb, and a scrap of envelope, and a couple of pills. My goodness, she needed a purse. Yes, and this is actually one of the things that was very common for women who slept rough, is they carried everything with them. Ah, uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You kind of have to. Mm -hmm. And one of the other interesting things here is that been a man fixing a piece of his boot uh, who sat on the uh, step right next to where she was found. And the time frame would have been about 10 to 15 minutes so if she was going there to sleep and it's out of the way no one would have seen her from the street uh it just would have been super easy to just tuck herself back there fall asleep a ripper comes around goes and hey another sleeping woman yeah um <laughs> but at the same time she probably wouldn't have been asleep and people did hear the yell of no no uh which may be uh, that either A, if she was doing the classical standing up, she saw the knife, um, or B, 
that she was actually laying down and sleeping and then woke up as he was about to do it. The oh. one sign that seems to indicate she was laying down was the arterial spray does seem to indicate that she was on the ground at that point. More of a fountain than like a squirt gun. If you want to get, I don't know, all sorts of modernist about it. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> there, Her skirts were up over her waist, much like uh, uh, the Nichols case. Uh, and uh, there were some signs of a possible struggle. Her hands and face were bloody. And there was a fence paling next to her. Or I looked up paling, and I believe it's like a picket, part of a fence, as far mm -hmm. as I can tell. Yes. Okay, good. You Thank you. <laughs> and uh, it was only 14 inches high, though, so I don't know. I guess it's just, just more like property demarcation than definitely not providing any privacy. Keeping out uh, the chihuahuas. Fucking chihuahuas <laughs> everywhere. People there were much go. smaller back then. Much smaller. <laughs> I, I do have some information on height. <laughs> <laughs> of course you yeah. do. <laughs> of course I do. Uh, so, yeah, they the fence paling there was there were smears of blood on that now that was right next to like her throat essentially so my thinking is because there were two deep cuts to the throat from left to right uh the abdomen was cut intestines were lifted out the uterus was removed and missing probably taken as a trophy and my thinking is maybe she lasted longer than he expected or what during her final struggle she like grasped at her throat and then or maybe and then afterwards grabbed onto the fence paling trying to you know anything to steady herself or whatever I, that's just my thinking i, think I love where your head's at i think that's pretty good thinking it just it they, they mentioned it but i, I didn't it, it, in in the few descriptions i read i didn't see any connection to why and i'm like i think that's where they're going so <laughs> There was uh, some bruising, but remember she had been in that fight before and it was considered um, anti-mortem. The body is taken to the mortuary where, guess what happens again? They wash it? Yep, and strip it. <laughs> and then Even eat it. No, no, not that part. There, there are strict instructions. They're like, don't do that again. And they're like, did he say to do that again? I think he said to do that again. Let's do that again. Again, again, again. It won't so. do to have the corpse all bloody and messy like this. Put everything back in, sew her up, give her a good wash down, and tell that gentleman the master that's masturbating by in the window saying, I love what I did here. Tell him to go away. The police don't want to see that kind of thing. I love that you kind of veered between walking, Jersey, and Cockney there. That's what I was going for. Why Jersey and Cockney? I know. Get this dead prostitute out of here, people. I hope you know. Look, look at all the dead prostitutes. I haven't seen this many dead prostitutes since Thursday. <laughs> that she was on Natalie Wood's boat? Oh. Oh, oh. You, have, you haven't put up last week's episode have No, you? that's that's tomorrow He hasn't heard that yet Yeah <laughs> I, I do a horrible Natalie Wood joke And I cover my face <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And oh my it God. will be a surprise to me Yeah <laughs> yes. 
Uh, I I love that we had uh, dueling Christopher Walken impersonations there. That was a beautiful moment, guys. Dan 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 Dan. Yeah, that was was great. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I'm here. Uh, all right. So man, it's gonna be hard to get out of this voice. I know. Again. <laughs> I, I'm gonna move on and hopefully influence your guys' speech patterns. <laughs> or I'll start talking walkany as well. Who knows? Um, now the letter. No, I can't do it. I can't. <laughs> I've got one word out. That's it. Sources very widely. <laughs> the letter uh, that's known as the Dear Boss letter is what's next in the timeline. It was on the actual letter September 25th, as far as I could read zooming in. And but it was received on September 27th by London's Central News Agency, and it was written in red ink. It's called the Dear Boss letter because, as you would imagine, that's how he addresses it. He says, "Dear Boss," he uh, said he was going to cut the ears off of his next victim. And I'll actually go ahead and read an excerpt that is painful. Okay, quote. I am down on whores, and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue, and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha, ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send it to the police officers just for a jolly wooden chew. Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. And the Central News Agency actually did keep the letter back because they thought it was a hoax. You know what? And no, one right. writes, no one writes letters anymore. <laughs> It's a lost art. It's an absolute lost art. You know, you do the quick email, a text message. No one sends letters anymore. That was thoughtful of Jack. Yeah, this is absolute horseshit. Um, <laughs> okay, tell us why, Chris. Well, one, because I would never say these things. But no, um, what really is the point of this letter is that this is written to be quoted in the paper and to tie the entire concept of sex work to the murders that have happened to lessen the impact. This is 100% what a journalist would write, particularly a moralistic journalist, to try and make everyone feel safe as long as they're not performing sex work. And that phrase, I am down on whores and shan't quit ripping till they Till they get me buck, do get buckled. Um, that is one hundred percent a cry that a one because a lot of the journalists at that point were one dirtbags. That's universal on journalism. Uh, but two, and this is the big problem, they were one hundred percent prescriptive of what performance at that time should be because the Victorians, and this will be a shock, were kind of prudish. <laughs> I, I find but, it. Yeah, this is. Oh, go ahead, Chris. No. No, no, Scott, you. I find it kind of interesting, too, that that mentality of sex equals getting murdered, it moves on into the 70s in a weird way with slasher films like Nightmare on Elm Street, 
Friday the 13th, Halloween, it's always the, the people who are having sex that are the next ones to get murdered. So that, that whole Puritan attitude towards sex, it kind of follows through from Jack the Ripper times straight up into, I mean, it's, it's a trope. It happens to this day. Somebody bones in a horror film, they're the next to die. And yeah. also in serial killers, Zodiac, same exact thing for his first three murders. It was couples who were in a position to have sex then being murdered. Uh, David Berkowitz out in uh, that New York place. Uh, you know, this happens a lot. This idea that uh, people who are engaging in sex that is not deeply, deeply repressed, uh, as in underneath, you know, no one knows it's happening. Uh, kids just happen to pop out. That being something that needs to be punished uh, is a massive theme throughout, honestly, the entirety of Christendom. But I, I, really, mean, I feel like kids are enough of a punishment. <laughs> yes, they are. Too. Jesus Christ, they are. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, this letter reads like a journalist who is trying to hit points so that an audience will buy into his presentation of that material. That is not the case with one and possibly two of the other letters, but I'll take my comments offline. My questioning of that is the fact that it seems like... Uh, all right, so... Define in one sentence the, the journalist's reason for writing the letter, just so we can boil it down. To put a neat package on what's happening and to soothe the general populace's uh, fears of general activities. But a, a general populace that's soothed is less likely to be buying the papers, though. They were still learning their trade, but oh, yeah. <laughs> there's also the possibility, because there was so much of a close relationship between these papers, like the Police Gazette, like the Illustrated uh, London News, uh, and the police force, that it would not surprise me if uh, you know, what uh, Commissioner Warren said, uh, hey, could you do a, could you do me a solid, uh, could you like, get, calm everyone the fuck down? Because <laughs> Whitechapel ain't safe. And we need them to think that it is. And we'll lose a few along the way, but bah, whatever. That's a good point, yeah. It did seem like there was, uh, there was a lot of shady dealings going on. Um, and if I, I, I only, let me see what I have here. Uh, what I get into, give me a second. Um, I get into more correspondence. I get into, I think the, uh, the postcard and the, the, the kidney letter. Um, uh, if I miss any along the timeline that you find important, go ahead and bring that right up. That's, those are, those are right. Okay. I just want to make sure that I didn't uh, miss any that, cause when I was reading about them, like all, except for those, the three that I, I'm discussing here, it was like, not not credible so <laughs> mad i'll throw my pen <laughs> credible letters or incredible letters just piss me right off also am i the only one who heard that entire letter being read by christopher walken uh i mean we have no proof it wasn't him where was he at the time <laughs> mind blown mm -hmm. a new theory ladies and gentlemen <laughs> And so on, on September 30th, which is a Sunday, Elizabeth Stride uh, meets 
Jack the Ripper. She is 45 years old. She does some sewing and some occasional work as a cleaner or what they called a charwoman. And she does some, uh, it's said, some occasional sex work. She lives on and off with a waterside laborer named Michael Kidney. Oh, no. Foreshadowing. Her last boyfriend was Bob Gallbladder. Sorry. Played by Scott Baio. <laughs> now, uh, the murders on the 30th, the night before, Saturday night, September 29th, uh, she's seen in several places with a man, or maybe multiple men, because the descriptions of his clothing and his general appearance just very wildly. Ooh, twice in one episode. I'm lucky. <laughs> All right, this is just hats. All right, hats alone. She was seen with a man in a billycock hat, which is your like a bowler hat. Uh, a sailor's hat, deerstalker hat, that's the classic Sherlock Holmes style, a black felt hat with a wide brim, and that was all between 11 p.m. and 12.35 a.m. So I think if she wasn't with two or three or four different men that she was seen with, uh, I think that right here we have a serious testimony to the unreliability of eyewitness statements. And uh, potentially also... Uh, that she was a what they call fast worker uh, that she actually was going through men in their sex work very very quickly um, there's stories of women who used to actually hang out in pubs and they would offer themselves in the pub and there's a way you could hike the skirt and make it look like nothing untoward was happening and actually enjoy yourself as a male buying it through that um, it's interesting that th there are folks who say that this wasn't a ripper crime and one of the reasons for that is because of the size and type of the knife the knife was short and dull not long and sharp as all the other knife cuts had been um i go back and forth on this one um but i will say this uh elizabeth stride was better known as long liz stride uh never figured out why she wasn't particularly tall uh maybe she had a long stride <laughs> i'm sorry how long was her tongue <laughs> oh amber might have it amber figured it out i want to know now i really want to know oh. i mean if she had a long tongue she could definitely get those guys in and out pretty fast in and out <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Anyhow, now, now this, despite the, uh, the the size of the the knife being small, at one point she's seen with a man who's carrying a package that's wrapped in newspaper, and it, it's judged to be about eighteen inches long, and that's around twelve thirty a.m. Although doesn't have to be a knife, you know. Um, could have just been. Uh, Are you assuming something else he's packing is eighteen inches long? Because well, damn. damn. Is that is that like a man size or a woman size of eighteen inches? Yeah, our inches are different, different things. <laughs> Notice the gentleman not laughing. <laughs> no I'm comment. Sorry, I have a bit of decorum, thank you. <laughs> um, 
they were witnessed uh, by seeing multiple places kissing, or she's seen kissing a man or multiple men. And one man is heard to say to her, quote, you would say anything but your prayers, end quote. Saving um, that one for the burn pile? <laughs> <laughs> and the deposition later uh, would uh, agree with my observation about the clothes. Uh, she is witnessed by uh, an Israel Schwartz, and we'll get into that, but... It said, uh, quote, it will be observed that allowing for differences of opinion between P.C. Smith and Schwartz as to the apparent age and height of the man each saw with the woman whose body they both identified, there are serious differences in the description of the dress, so at least it is rendered doubtful that they are describing the same man. That's yeah. what I said. <laughs> but they said it first. Yeah. And one of the arguments that for this not being a ripper crime is this does seem more like the potential of a, a love triangle or some sort of in a personal conflict. Uh, yes. And the fact that she was the only one who wasn't ripped in the traditional sense. There was no uh, disemboweling. Uh, one of the possibilities for that, of course, is he was interrupted. Um, but the, this is the first of the double event. And the second part of the double event really adds both of them being either connected or unconnected and that is a conundrum that has faced ripperologists for decades yeah it's definitely i would say conundrum is a good word for it uh israel schwartz uh that i mentioned a moment ago 12 45 a.m on september 30th he saw a man and a woman the man grabbed the woman he threw her down to the street and she screamed three times but it wasn't like a loud scream it's described as a low scream i I don't, I can't really, a low scream. I think that's, uh, it's a contradiction in terms. <laughs> okay, I guess. I would say guttural. Like whenever, uh, yeah, whenever I've heard people really hurt, the screaming doesn't, like whenever you think of like a high-pitched scream, it comes from the voice. But whenever somebody's hurt, it kind of comes from the diaphragm. So it's more of an, uh, like that. Yeah. I can see okay. that. I'm going to agree with Scott. Yeah, I, I, can, I can feel you on that one. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, Israel Schwartz sees, uh, across from this altercation, he sees a man lighting a pipe. And then, so that's the second man. The first man yelled Lipsky to the second man. And that's when Schwartz, he's like, I'm going to be somewhere else. Because he, he thought this was a domestic dispute. Uh, and he also saw that they seemed to have noticed him. So he felt like he was, you know, could be in danger. So he hightails it out. The second man does follow him for a bit, but uh, Schwartz is running, and either he lost the guy or the guy gave up, one of the two. Mm -hmm. um, and then yeah, and Lipsky was actually used as sort of an anti-Semitic slur. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. I had no idea. I spent so much time looking at the suspects and trying to see uh, how many of them had names that could be mistaken for Lipsky. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so a guy named Israel Schwartz, probably fairly likely to be Jewish. A guy yells Lipsky, and you're thinking, oh, they're looking for a Jewish guy. I'm going to run the fuck out. Yeah, he was actually a, a Hungarian Jew, in fact. Um, he, he didn't even, he actually needed an interpreter, I guess, to do uh, his, his testimony and everything or deposition. Oh, wow. Hmm, I didn't know that. 
but he so. did understand one word and that was uh, a blessing for him anyway <laughs> yeah a, a word that he probably usually heard you know as a curse <laughs> so at 1 a.m on, on the body is discovered by louis deemschutz at dutfield's yard uh, which is a, a, a butts or is part of uh, the International Working Men's Educational Club. <laughs> it was uh, kind of funny. At first he thinks it might be his wife. Uh, and I don't know if that is, I don't know if he realized that she was dead and the extent of her injuries. So I couldn't decide whether that was, he thinks it's his wife and his wife is, you know, sleeping it off out on the street or in the yard rather. Or he thinks it's his wife and is actually terrified that his wife is dead. So I couldn't figure out which one it was. It could be he thought it was his wife and he wrote it into the paper about a willing victim. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> We've made the connection. Or that they, he didn't get a chance to do it first. Yeah. They, they get the police there. Uh, the face is slightly warm. The skirts are not raised. Uh, as in the other ones, in fact, they, the boots are barely even visible. There is only one cut to her throat. It's two inches wide, so that's it's quite a bit smaller than uh, some of the other cuts. There's no mutilation that we so frequently see. And at 1.16 a.m., Dr. Blackwell said she's probably been gone for about 20 to 30 minutes. So quite a tight timeline there. Uh, the, the differences uh it, it's it's like chris said is it because it wasn't a ripper murder or because the the attack was interrupted uh and it it, it is it, i i feel like i could go either way honestly it's so difficult yeah it's a Olivia newton john decision either way uh i would probably lean towards because what happens immediately next i think really informs the fact that I think this was a double event done by the same guy. I just can't figure out why he would use different knives. Yeah, that's definitely curious. Um, now, she probably bled to death in about a minute and a half, the doctor said. Uh, and uh, the she had a scarf around her neck that was tied into a bow, but the bow was askew. Like, that's what he, he grabbed from behind. And uh, there, around 30 people gathered around the crime scene. And you had PC Henry Lamb saying, you know, everybody stay back, stay back. Not because they wanted to maintain the integrity of the crime scene, but because they didn't want all these people to become suspects. So that's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. yeah right. Now, they did uh, examine all the onlookers. They checked their hands for blood. They checked their clothes. They had them empty their pockets. And they kept, uh, they gathered a, a name of, or they gathered a list of the names and addresses and gave, you know, everybody a quick, quick little interrogation before they let them go. So, part two of the double event is Catherine Eddowes. We're still on September 30th, as you can imagine. She is 46 years old. That very same night this happens, about a 15-minute walk from the site of Stride's murder. Uh, so it's a, it's a little ways, but, you know, I, and if he's hurrying, he can probably do it quicker. Um, mm -hmm. Now, she had been in jail for a drunk and disorderly. Earlier that evening, she had been drunkenly imitating a fire engine for a, uh, a crowd. <laughs> Yes. We've and we've that, all been there. 
we've all <laughs> been there. Let's not lie. One time I got so drunk on, on a uh, related note, I proposed to a fire hydrant. <laughs> did, did it accept? Uh, we don't talk about that redheaded bitch ever. <laughs> <laughs> so Catherine Eddowes, immediately after her little show, she lies down on the sidewalk to go to sleep. And the cops pick her up and toss her in jail around 12.55 uh, a.m., which is right about the time that Stride would have been being murdered. She is released uh, because they're like, okay, you can, you can handle yourself now. And her last known words were to the city jailer uh, after he told her to make sure she pulled the door shut. Uh, she said, good night, old cock. <laughs> Uh, there's night. the vernacular. Good night, Dusty Snatch. <laughs> now, uh, we get to, she gets to Mitre Square uh, around 1.35 a.m. She's seen there by three men. She's with a man. They're talking. Her hand is on his chest. One of those men gets a somewhat decent description. The other two are kind of, you know, cast their gaze away. And then at 1.44 a.m., P.C. Watkins uh, wanders by and, well, probably patrols by, and finds the body. They get the doctor there by 1.55, but he basically, he's just a local doctor. He's not the official police surgeon. So he's like, yes, she is in fact dead, and I'm going to leave the rest for the guy whose job this actually is. It's a good attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Not my problem. Fuck this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if ever there is a case of uh, the cops just being caught with their pants down, this is it. And one of the great arguments that I've heard for this being a ripper killing and uh, uh, Liz Stride not being is that, so let's say you live, you're you're Jack the Ripper, uh, Christy, because you obviously would be. Um, yeah. And you live in the neighborhood, but lo- like not right next to the place where they find Liz Stride. And you hear there's a commotion, and obviously rumors are busting around there, and someone says, you know, there's been a ripping. (gasps) Good God, I have a chance. Runs over to Mitre Square, where there are always prostitutes. There are always uh, women sleeping rough. And you run there, and you go, and you're all ready to go, and you've got your regular night, and you go and you do your thing and you're all sorts of happy until you look at the map and what happens after the murder of uh, Catherine Ito uh, is that they find a piece of fabric that she had had with her and it's been wiped with blood and it's right underneath a graffito and I can talk about that part for days, but uh, why don't you just go on with the rest and I'll pop in a little bit later because there's stuff to say. Okay, sure. <laughs> and have I been saying her name wrong all along? You know what? Honestly, I've heard it Edo's, but uh, Peter Ustinoff pronounced it Edo's. Um, and so I've always kind of gone with that, but no. I'm also well known for not being able to speak the language. So um, I don't be used as pronunciation guides, except for the word GIF. 
which I know for a fact is pronounced Jeff. Yes. Mm. On board that train. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I know the inventor. I asked him personally. He's no. wrong. He's wrong. <laughs> the inventor when you say is. Jeff, I just think peanut butter. That's where I immediately go. Here's the you know thing. What? Me too. Jeff, graphics is what the G stands for. It's G. Scott, everybody knows the argument, and they all still think you're wrong. <laughs> Don't get me started on the letter C. I have problems with that letter. Fuck that letter. <laughs> right. So it'd be easy to do it's open on one end. I'm gonna keep on going with Eddos for Catherine Eddos, <laughs> just because uh, I, I feel like I've started down this path, and it's too late to turn back. Um. So yes, the condition that she's found in. Once again, we have skirts lifted, throat slit two times, and the escalation you can see in the just sheer brutality of what is done her belly is cut from her navel to her rectum um and parts of the intestines are taken out and have been placed on her shoulder her, we have this time missing both the uterus and the left kidney and there's some facial mutilation including the ear being mutilated mm -hmm. uh and yeah nobody heard or saw a thing there was a night watchman nearby who he got nothing. There was a policeman whose bedroom window was right there. See, <laughs> like... now here's the thing. I, I think that this is Catherine Eddowes' murder is honestly the most fascinating of the Ripper cases. A lot of, a lot of people point to Mary Kelly because Mary Kelly is the one he had time to do exactly what he wanted to. But yeah. I think Eddowes is the most fascinating for two reasons this is the one that people kind of go well jack the ripper was a freemason uh because you know the whole the whole thing about her intestines being lifted out and and thrown over the right shoulder and the damage to the face that is part of the freemasonry oath there is a, a freemasonry oath binding myself under no less a penalty than that of having my throat cut across my tongue torn out by its roost and, uh, and then a little bit later on in that, binding myself under no less a penalty than that of having my left breast torn open, my heart plucked out, and given as prey to wild beasts. Um, so a lot of people go, well, the, the wounds are matching the Freemasonry Oath. Quite honestly, Jack the Ripper inflicted so many wounds and so many punishments are mentioned in the Freemasonry Oaths that there had to be some crossover. Are you saying this is a Venn diagram problem? Because I'm down for that. Yeah, I absolutely think it's a Venn diagram thing. Because they're talking about, oh, tear my tongue out with the roots. The, bury my tongue in the rough sands of the sea. And pluck out my eyes. And, and shove three onions up my ass. And make me sing Ozzy Osbourne songs. It's, there's <laughs> a little bit of everything. Secondly, and I, I honestly believe this, this is the case that solves the Ripper murder. Um, I, I really, really believe that the DNA they got from, from Edo's uh, shawl and they tested in 2014, absolutely, no doubt in my mind, points to who the Ripper murderer actually is. Mm -hmm. You're right. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get there. <laughs> Just a couple more weeks. <laughs> now, as Chris mentioned, they do find that scrap of her apron uh, that he had used to probably clean the knife and maybe his hands. 
It's found on what's now called Golston Street. And if you want to get some fish and chips, yep. right where a woman was brutally murdered, uh, Happy Days Fish and Chips Shop is there. Oh, Yum. Thank terrible. Thank God. It's the worst fish and chips I've ever had. Oh, my God. You've eaten there. And I've eaten fish and chips from an airport. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would imagine a lot of people eat there just because of the association with Jack the Ripper. Yeah, very much so. And so they get away with the bad fish and chips because they get the, the, the money from the association. Mm -hmm. uh, now, yes. there where they find the, the clock, there's a graffito written in chalk that says, the Jewess are the men who will not be blamed for nothing. And there's all sorts of ties you can make to the word Jewess, J-U-W-E-S, um, with theoretical uh, ties to Masonic, it's all garbage um they meant to say jews uh at that point anti-semitism is rife throughout it's anti-semitism is as bad at Whitechapel at that time as it is in trump's cabinet right now and <laughs> wow that's pretty it, bad yeah um but this to me is the most important clue that tells us nothing but says why what happened next happens because he had to know Whitechapel down to the second because of how often the, the cops patrolled because of when deliveries happened to be able to do the ripping that he did he had to be able to know what was going to happen at any given moment so let's say he comes from out of Whitechapel into Whitechapel he kills Elizabeth Stride he doesn't get to do his rip and he is fuming so he runs to Mitre Square where he knows he can find someone and he goes there, and he does his business, and he's still on this adrenaline. He's been on this adrenaline high for more than 90 minutes at least. So he runs back up Commercial Street, ducks into Goulston Street, and there he sees this graffito. But it wasn't there before. This is the first time he's seen, and it tells him, bang! I don't know Whitechapel as well as I think I do. And in that moment, the way I picture it, if it were a movie, if I were directing him, and I should, uh, he's like fuming and he's wiping the blade and he sees it and realizes that I don't know Whitechapel as well as I think I do. And his hands drop and the cloth drops and he sort of slinks out of Whitechapel up Commercial Road. And he's in his mind, he's going, the next time I do this, I'm going to be inside where I can control the entire scene. Oh. world to my place and then I can have my true impact that is fascinating wow that's quite a little like dive into a, a killer's mind Chris yeah I wrote that for a zine I do and I actually sent it to uh, one of the more famous ripperologists guy named David Fido and uh, he said I can't exactly say it's wrong but I also can't exactly say it's right. And I'm like, that's the best I could hope for. That's like what everybody's been doing with River <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that, that that applies to just about everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really weird with the cloth and the, the graffito being right there. Um, and, okay, my theory was, okay, so the timing here, because we have a a couple of policemen who had passed by that area 
um, at Golston Street and swore that the scrap of cloth wasn't there. And then all of a sudden, it's found there uh, at 2.55 a.m., that and you've got lots of policemen around because they're they're patrolling because of, of you know the, the the events that night. I was wondering, and this is this is rampant speculation on my part, but I was wondering if there's a possibility because the police would be questioning after you know the the, the stride murder. I do have that right, right? It was stride is yeah. Okay, sorry, it's, it's hard to keep them all straight. <laughs> um, for the stride murder police were questioning people in the area and i was like did he get held up because he was being questioned and then he was let go huh that's a good point that's a good point i mean it would be very cinematic (laughs) it'd be for a great moment of tension but uh, i might be thinking too writerly there so so yeah i don't know um and then as for the graffito, the police, they debated maybe waiting and having it photographed, but the, all the anti-Semitic tension in the area had been so uh, high that they were like, eh, if we wait for light to come and people see it, there'll be riots. So they wash it off and just copy it down, which of course, again, there's lots of criticism there. Uh, and then but there- honestly, It was the right choice because of one thing who was the number one suspect the entire time a guy named john Pizer, leather apron a jewish gentleman who lived in Whitechapel, and there are two ripper killings and there's a graffito that seems to be taunting yeah you're gonna get a riot if you leave that up it's the right choice it's terrible for us because you maybe something in the writing but the fact is at that point you either watch Whitechapel burn because of the uh, implication that uh, this is a Jewish conspiracy or you wash it off and any of the possibilities. They almost certainly made the right choice. I mean, I get it. On the other side, there are people who say that they had seen it before the murder. Um, and it was, and it, there are you know so, some reports that it appeared blurred, so it probably wasn't exactly fresh. If that is the case, which I don't know. Again, eyewitness testimony, essentially, we don't know anything about anything that anybody saw. Um, but if it is the case, there hadn't been any riots before. So I, that, that also depends whether they made the right call or not also depends on whether it was actually fresh graffito or not. Which this is the first time I've run across the word graffito. So this is new to me. I feel like I'm pronouncing graffiti wrong. Yes, it's a singular. Oh, I did not realize. Okay. Some graffiti, a uh, graffito. Okay. All right. I gotcha. Gotcha. One more quick thing on the graffito. Uh, they, there is a little bit of forensic linguistics that goes into this. It, it's decided that the graffito was not from a native speaker. Uh, there was an idiom used that wasn't English. It wasn't French. It wasn't German. So they thought maybe... Uh, an Irishman speaking a foreign language because the idiom was of uh, Spain or Italy. So maybe an Irishman who who also spoke uh, Spanish or Italian, something like that. Kind of a weird possibility. So, yeah. Uh, we get some profiling here when the police are like, well, you know, maybe it's a Jewish slaughterhouse worker. So they gather all those knives, but none of them match the victim's wounds, which and generally is 
you're not going to have as high an accuracy rate as you are if you're matching the weapon to bone as you are with you're matching it to flesh. So I don't know about that. Who knows? I don't know if that actually excludes anybody or not. So uh, before we get to any more murdering, we have to do some correspondence. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> Kill a prostitute, yeah. write a letter. Kill a prostitute, write a letter. Write Makes a sense letter. to me. Yeah. So a few nights prior to this, or a few days prior to this, the news agency had uh, received, I think they received the, the boss, the dear boss letter. Yeah. Yeah. They got the 27th, they got the boss letter, and then the murders happened on the 30th. Um, so the agency finally sent that letter to Scotland Yard and then uh, some more correspondence that went around was uh, on uh, I believe it was October 14th George Lusk who is president of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee received half a kidney preserved in wine yum how nice well, Yum, apparently, if this is uh, legit, also said the Ripper in his note where he said, I ate the other half. <laughs> I don't think he did. At this point, it becomes it becomes what I call the Marilyn Manson syndrome, where it's just you've shocked so, people so much that you're just doing one more thing to try to get one more shock out of them. It's entirely possible, yeah. Although he is sick enough that I also wouldn't put it past him. I'm torn on this one because uh, the characteristics of the kidney seem to indicate that it could have come from someone who m- met a lot of the characteristics of Catherine Edo. 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 Uh, but at the same time, those wacky medical students were known for pulling pranks kind of like this. And if any of the letters are real, this is the one. Um the interesting thing is in the spelling, um, Mr. Lux, uh, and all that, uh, it does seem more legit like it could be from a real psychopath. Um, but I don't know. This is, I'm very down on the letters and I shan't consider them real until I'm nicked. <laughs> you mean until you're buckled? Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same thing. Um, and then there's, they did a microscopic exam on the kidney half. Two separate doctors said it was human, but they, you know, uh, the thing is, is that there is a possibility, you know, that they were wrong because pig kidneys, about the same size as human kidneys, some other animals of that size. So uh, it, we don't even for sure know. Uh, I guess we have, I guess we sort of have to believe, you know, two separate doctors doing microscopic exams. I guess we have to believe that in 1888. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, oh, I guess I jumped ahead a little bit because I think that was two weeks after on October first. Uh, so, the day after the double event, there's a postcard with that same red ink and the same handwriting as the Dear Boss letter. Uh, it is sent to the news agency. It made reference to the double event and also said, you know, oops, sorry, couldn't get uh, couldn't get the ears. Uh, the, a lot of people kind of excused that by saying one of Edo's ears was cut like he you know tried to before he had to run off but uh, I don't I don't necessarily buy that yeah um, it, it feels a little too I I feel like he would I feel like he 
if he sent the original Dear Boss letter and promised an ear, I feel like he would keep going until he got a damn ear. Yeah. Well, that, that's assuming that the Ripper is the writer. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if if if, if these are the case, I feel like he would, uh, maybe in a in a way want to prove himself or something, you know. So if I said I was going to do something, uh, I'm going to do it. So <laughs> I, I guess I I think of him as a very committed person who uh, probably should have been committed. Um, so. <laughs> and again, it fits the narrative of a journalist wanting to keep the story in the paper alive, and uh, it's unlikely. But it could be. Yeah, there were some interesting, uh, th like thesis dissertation type things uh, on the, one of the Jack the Ripper sites. That uh, there's a ton of them. But I read one that was all about the the one journalist that they generally thought maybe did some of these hoaxes. So, um, so yeah, uh, it's uncertain also with the timing. Whether, because this is again, this is October first. Would he have had enough time to get the information from the papers before sending or dropping off the postcard? But as far as people are concerned, if there is, you know, if this communication is coming from Jack the Ripper, it is the last generally, because, like I said, a lot of the other ones were not considered credible, or everything that came after. So, do you have anything else to say about the the correspondence, uh, Chris? just that the handwriting and spelling were atrocious. I mean, there are no character, there's no sense of flow. Uh, I just, I wouldn't buy it. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> <laughs> now we get to what I've been dreading all day. Mary Jane deep, Kelly. Let's all take a deep breath. Yes, yes, everybody take a deep breath. All right, everybody. In and out. Leave room for hate. Leave room for hate. <laughs> okay, so November 9th, which is a Friday, is when she meets her end in a particularly brutal fashion. She's younger than the others. She's 25 years old. As you noticed, the, uh, the previous four were all in their 40s. She's well-liked. She has uh, a boyfriend, Joseph Barnett, who is... a mostly a live-in boyfriend but he like left and found other lodgings because she was according to reports doing some sex work to help cover the bills because he was unemployed uh, and he didn't you know that that caused some issues plus he she moved a, a homeless woman in he didn't like that either um she's the only one noted as a prostitute on her death certificate oh that's fascinating i had no idea all the rest are called organists <laughs> so the day before uh the murder uh, that the previous evening barnett and a woman who this is a weird one i didn't quite go all the way down this rabbit hole may have been lizzie albrook who may or may not even exist <laughs> what is this world in, there's a lot of people in the jack the ripper story who may or may not exist um, my girlfriend that, yeah. my girlfriend lives in Canada, okay? <laughs> oh, Lizzie Albrook is the girlfriend in Canada. Mm -hmm. So Barnett uh, and perhaps a woman were visiting Mary Jane Kelly around 7, 7.30 or 8. It's really unclear wording in the testimony, so it, 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 it's worded in a way that it could go either way. So um, 
And then there's not much else until about 4 a.m. on November 9th when uh, two neighbors in this building, which, by the way, uh, it, this is a fairly an area where violence of a couple different sorts are fairly common. So uh, they heard a woman yell murder and but they were like, again, you know, so <laughs> guess it must be Sunday. It was Sunday, right? <laughs> Sure. Friday. It must be Friday. Friday. <laughs> um, and now, on the morning of November 9th, uh, at 10.45 a.m., uh, she is discovered when her landlord sends his assistant over to grab the rent, which is overdue. He knocks. She doesn't answer. So he goes and looks in the window, which there was actually a window that had been uh, broken, I believe. And he saw lots of blood. So he ran for the landlord, uh, and then the police were summoned, and she is uh, the only Canon Five victim murdered indoors. And the the weird thing is, he pushes back. There was a uh, cloth that was over the broken pane of glass, and he pushes it open, and the first thing he sees isn't the blood; it is a pile of viscera on the nightstand. Yeah, this. Ugh. This woman was absolutely dismantled. There's, yep. uh, yeah, it it has, whenever you see the murder photos, and they are available terribly, um, but whenever you look at the murder photos, the only clue that you have that it's human is that there's a big human shape there. Other than that, nothing looks human whatsoever. Yeah, her boyfriend had to identify her by her eyes and ears. Yeah. That's it. So, yeah. So, we do have Inspector Walter Dew on the scene. Good old Mountain Dew from the Dr. Crippen episode way back. Fucking finally. (laughs) Somebody who's competent. Was he in disguise? (laughs) (laughs) And I have a quote from his later memoirs. Quote, as my thoughts go back to Miller's Court and what happened there, the old nausea, indignation, and horror overwhelm me still. My mental picture of it remains as shockingly clear as though it were but yesterday. No savage could have been more barbaric. No wild animal could have done anything so horrifying. End quote. He also, do just from everything that I wrote, he, he kind of, it almost seemed like he had a little crush on her. Um, he described her as quite attractive, uh, a pretty buxom girl, his own words. And he said, oh, she always wore a clean white apron, never a hat. And it's just like, wow, you know a lot about this person. It almost seems like Walter Dew had a little tiny crush on Mary Kelly. Aww. There I wonder how it is... turned out. Go ahead. I wonder how that turned out in the end. Uh, well, yeah. that that meat cute did not end up so cute in the end. Uh, we oh, do have was there. Oh no, I should not <laughs> have opened that door. Mm-hmm. Either should she. Sometimes, oh my god. <laughs> Sometimes I set you guys up, and I hate myself for it. But it's always an accident. I promise you. <laughs> um, I would not do this on purpose. Um, we do have some better scene investigation here. Actually, some some better work on the behalf of the police. There were bloodhounds that had brought been brought in. They were named 
Virgo and Barnaby. And uh, interestingly, though, I, I I saw an article that said the dogs were actually no longer associated with the police force. No, they were in fact not. They were sent for uh, with a telegram because they were supposed to be specifically, this was an idea that was like, well, with the Ripper murders, maybe we can track them down with the bloodhounds. But again, with the cops, in addition to the fact that they'd been sent back to their owner, um, there was also no money even in the budget for, for the bloodhounds. So they stood around for like almost two hours waiting for these damn bloodhounds before they got word that they're not even in town. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I wanted to see the doggies. And uh, another uh, thing that was not available was uh, Police Commissioner Warren, who had tendered his resignation the very night before. Guys, do you think that Police Commissioner Warren was Jack the Ripper? No. Or he just realized he was bad at his job. I think it was that one, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's it. And he was around for a long time. I mean, he lived another 20 years or 40 years-ish. Uh, he didn't die until 27. So, wow. you know, he was relatively young-ish or lived to be incredibly old. <laughs> One of the two. But I think the most interesting thing about that resignation was that there had been people calling for his resignation the entire time. And the fact that it was just at the very end that uh, – before a big event and the double event was a big event but the mary kelly thing was a big event uh that was a season ender really um it's kind of a surprise could he be the ripper probably not for one very simple reason he wasn't that competent <laughs> <laughs> i like and agree with your reasoning there that's why i'm quitting my job i'm just not competent <laughs> Okay, so the condition of uh, poor Mary Kelly's body, she was found mostly nude. Some sources say nude, but there's also, uh, there was possibly an undergarment with puff sleeves that she was wearing, but She's just the top. Oh, okay. But only the top part was like visible. You can't see the, the bottom part. Um, it was either cut off or pushed up. Her legs are splayed out. Her face is completely mutilated. Uh, parts of her nose, cheeks, and eyebrows are removed. Her throat is cut to her spine. Her abdomen has been eviscerated. The organs are found uh, just kind of scattered around the bed. Her heart was taken out, and they never found that. So probable trophy. And the... Uh, the pieces of the skin on her thighs and abdomen had been just mutilated and then removed and piled up on the table. That's the, the viscera that was mentioned earlier. And her breasts had been excised. And I'm covering mine. Um, <laughs> I hate that. Me too. <laughs> Everybody cover your breasts. <laughs> yeah, the body was in literally just an eviscerated state it was the amount that was missing was remarkable particularly the heart is a big deal um because you might not know this you can't live without a heart uh <laughs> yeah even if it's three sizes too small it still <laughs> helps but boy, uh boy i know that, that for a fact <laughs> <laughs> but one of the weird weird things is the fire 
because there was a fire in the fireplace. And when they came, there was probably a good six to seven hours for that fire to come down, but it was still really hot. And the thing is, nothing, if he had burned other clothes, if he had burned uh, some of her belongings, there was nothing that would have enabled the fire to get as hot as it would need to be to still be that temperature when the body was found. So the Ripper had to have brought something or, or found something elsewhere to bring in to make an incredibly hot fire. And the theory is he burned his own clothes, but he wanted to make sure they were completely eviscerated. Because if you've ever tried to burn clothes, particularly one soaked in blood, you'll know as well as I do that they don't burn completely. So you have to have an incredibly hot fire. We just breezing right past that you burning your blood soaked clothes? Okay. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yes, we are, Christy. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. We're breezing right past it. Uh, yeah, and he would have needed light to work by. It was a dark night, as I'm going to go into in a moment, and there was only one candle in the room. So unless he brought one and then took it with him, which kind of seems, I don't know, silly, but I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. Um, now, the police locked the door uh, to make sure that they could come back if necessary and that the, the crime scene wouldn't be disturbed. So actually, it almost seems like as soon as Commissioner Warren is gone, all of a sudden the confidence level just shoots up. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Okay, um, guys, let's bring our D-plus game today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? We're not going to fail, but we're not going to really try either. <laughs> exactly. Now, the autopsy uh, said that there were so many cuts to the neck that they couldn't even figure out what direction the weapon was going in. And time of death is similarly vague. It's probably somewhere around 2 or 8 a.m. They figured he would have needed about two hours to do everything he did. There's no real, there's, you've all heard, you know, Jack the Ripper was a doctor. In this case, there's, it's said that really his approach to the organs in, in general seemed pretty haphazard. There's not really any anatomical knowledge seen here. And the blade is estimated to be an inch wide and six inches long. But again, these are soft tissue wounds and many of them, that's gonna be probably a, a, just a, a guesstimate, I would say. And the final thing about Mary Jane Kelly that I have uh, is that her boyfriend said she would have him read her Jack the Ripper report from the moon. She would have been a fan. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned the uh, darkness thing. Yes, I did look up the moon phases. <laughs> I think we'll get into the height more next week when we talk about the victims, and we'll probably mention it a few times in the suspects too. But so, but the moon phases, I did look up, and uh, I was curious not only for these ones, but also for the ones that aren't the in the canonical five and granted we only have four knights here so it's uh, establishing a pattern is probably not really but uh august 31st was a waning crescent illumination was 32 percent september 8th was a waxing crescent illumination was seven percent september 30th waning crescent illumination was 29 percent and on november 9th another waxing crescent illumination was 37 percent 
And of the other victims, which we'll talk about next week, not a single one of them is on a like low percentage illumination evening. So there's that. Oh, as soon as I saw somebody like a, an article mentioned people do it looking at moon faces, I was like, I'm gonna do that too. Um, so yeah, this was a big uh, media sensation. We do have some uh, advances that were going on, and this this is information like this. This connection uh, is from the Great Courses Plus uh, episode that I watched. That was really good. I highly recommend it. Um, and it talks about how science and society are sort of this. You know, we know they're this organism. These two organisms that kind of like really weave in together and feed off each other. Uh, but you had. The newspaper printing uh, advances, as well as tax reform in Great Britain, that basically made mass media a possibility. Uh, at the time in London, there were dozens of newspapers. Uh, you also had what made the ability to actually spread news fast. You had telegraph technology, uh, communications between countries and continents, so news could actually get from one place to the other without having to wait for a ship to get there, you know, or a carrier pigeon or whatever. And the crime scene photography, like that it definitely spurs the interest because the, the only one that actually got the crime scene photography was Mary Kelly. The others we have photographs, but they're just of the victims in the mortuary. They're not even on the scene. Um, so it was generally being used for documentation and not actually as a tool to use to investigate. But it was something that was uh, probably part of what makes this case endure um, because these images are just terribly, terribly memorable. You know, you, you can't get them out of your head. Um, and uh, just as a, a final note on the photography, uh, they... In the case of Mary Kelly, they took some some photos of her eyes because uh, this was at the time when they still believed that the when somebody died, the last image that they saw was captured on the retina. Uh, so they were they were looking for that, although whether or not they used the proper lighting conditions to actually perform this photography maneuver is unknown because those photos are long gone. But oh no, those photos are still around actually. Um, they are. Oh, they're gosh. not in good shape. And I've only seen it once in a book uh, printed in 1967. I think it's called uh, uh, The Photographs of Jack the Ripper, uh, which were every photograph that they had uh, before the Blitz had been re-photographed. Like, we only know the letters exist through photographs. Um, and almost no evidence remains today uh, because the Blitz blew up... Uh, the World War II was basically to destroy all the evidence of Jack the Ripper. Um, but one of the letters exists because it was returned to the family. It had just been stolen. Uh, and after someone died, it got returned to Scotland Yard. But there are photographs of almost all the photographs existed up until then. There had been a project to photograph many of the photographs and the other evidence, uh, but not all of it. So some of it was missing, but the eye photos exist, but they're not very good. Mm -hmm. um, I remember it being like very you might not realize it but when someone's face is all ripped up most of the uh, blood and stuff might go into the eyes mm. I'm squinting yeah, my was... eyes shut right now <laughs> yeah it was nasty it's the most disturbing photograph that I look at regularly and hate myself for um, 
it's the murder of Mary Kelly is a classic example in serial killer of the final overkill. And the best example of that is Zodiac in which the murder of Paul Stein at the very end of it, uh, he again, completely tightened and made the world as small as possible. It was the only murder that took place inside of a car. He had complete control over the space, just like Jack the Ripper had over his domain that was Mary Kelly's lodging room when he did his work. And this idea that as serial killers go down, they're realizing more and more they need to do more to get the same feeling, but at the same time, they need to be able to better control their situation. And that is a really fascinating dichotomy that you see in several killers. Wow, I think about like... this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I would never have guessed. <laughs> I thought you just thought about puppy dogs and rainbows. Oh, yeah, they're serial killers, too. <laughs> Mostly dogs. <laughs> so that is what I have. Anybody got anything else? I mean, um, we have tons, but... <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. But, like, does anyone else feel like that, that Mary Kelly's was a little more personal? I think you could be onto something there. I think you could be onto something. Like, I, I get, not that I'm an evil genius or anything, but, like, I think a great way to get away with murder is to kill random other people first and then kill the one you want and call it a day. Like, that's he, what the DC sniper was working up to. He, he just wanted to off his ex-wife. Um, but with, with the taking of the heart and how, how brutal and the only one that was inside, and then after that it just stops. Like, to me, it's like, that's who he wanted the whole time, and the rest of this was just a fucking game. Canonically, it stops. But there are there are a few attacks, a few murders afterwards that kind of match up, even even over in America. As soon as, as, soon as the Ripper cases stop in, in, the, in England, uh, there is... I can't, cannot remember the guy's name. It was John something. I want to say something with the B. And I didn't, I didn't look this up because I didn't think we were going here tonight, but I'll go here. There is a, a series of murders that happen in America right after the Ripper cases end in England. These murders go, and you can track this guy almost every place this guy goes after he leaves England and comes to America. There's a newspaper. Has Jack the Ripper struck in America? And he goes like from New York City down the east coast over over to the midwest and then back to england where he dies in an insane asylum yeah hmm. i can't remember his name either burbage something like that um i i've always just sort of gone around gone around that like well okay yeah it's possible um but the interesting thing is that whole uh mary carey being very personal is actually a big part of a lot of how people have written about written fiction about Jack the Ripper, including Alan Moore's From Hell uh, uses that theory very well. Hmm. So you're probably right. In fact, you've solved it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, if that's all we have, um, yeah, we'll be talking about the victims next week. I'm going to be uh, reading the book The Five that uh, Chris recommended to me. It was actually free on Kindle Unlimited, which I'm currently doing a, uh, a trial of, so that worked out perfectly. So good. 
I'm so excited to read that too. I'm going to start uh, probably the Friday or Saturday. And uh, so, yeah, the victims and then and the, we'll finish up with the suspects. Chris, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Your insight has been absolutely invaluable. This was truly absolutely fascinating to me. And thank you so much for having me on the greatest podcast in the world that everyone should support at patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and you can also follow us on our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta as Old Timey Crimey. And oh, yes, as for that Patreon thing, if you're just, you know, you're not much for the long-term relationships, you just want to leave a buck on the nightstand, nightstand and just, you know, kind of out the window, you can do that. Oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com and go over to PayPal and you can send us a couple bucks that way. Any Every little bit counts, honestly, seriously, like, I would not consider a dollar an insult because we we put a lot into this, a lot of uh, work and time and energy, and we love doing it. But seriously, every single dollar counts when you're doing uh, an enterprise like this. So yes. Uh, so yeah, I think that's all of our promotional crap. I always feel like I forget something. Oh yeah, rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff uh, over on uh, iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. And I think that is all my promotional crap. There we go. Okay, so uh, weekend plans, guys? I'm going to call in sick tomorrow. Probably <laughs> probably Saturday, too. Um, my daughter is turning five on Monday, so I'm going to do some birthday stuff this weekend. Aw. Yeah. I'm going to paint, uh, potty train my children, and uh, I'm thinking about writing more about punk rock. Aww. Nice. And go ahead. Uh, do you want to mention your zine here? So if anybody wants to go and give it a read. Well, there are so many, but the most uh, interesting one, I think, is the, it's called Journey Planet. And it's uh, rotating themes. Uh, the most recent one is on the comic book Swamp Thing. Um, the next one that's coming up is about a comic book in Britain from the 70s called Battle. Um, but there are issues about Philip K. Dick, about uh, politics and fandom, about uh, everything you can imagine under the sun that a weird, addled mind like mine might come up with, um, including 100 pages about Doctor Who, uh, which is one of the better issues we've ever done. And that's uh, journeyplanet.weebly.com, because I can't code. Awesome. <laughs> I will actually put the link in the show notes, too. So if you want to go take a look at that, that will be available to you. My plans are uh, I'm going to read some more about Jack the Ripper's victims, and i got to record a couple episodes of Detectives by the Decade and edit, and somewhere in there, I swear to God, I'm going to cross-stitch. I'm, like, weeks behind on my one project, but uh, somehow I ended up with less time. I don't know how that happened, but leave it to me. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's my plan. So, uh, yeah, we will see you, uh, if you're a patron, we will see you early next week with the old tiny crimey it's gonna be a real good one scott had us uh just absolutely on the edge of our seats with a really interesting tale and then uh we'll see the rest of you next week in the regular episode and as always thank you for listening to our filthy words bye bye swamp thing rules <laughs> thanks for having me have a great week My sources this week are Dr. Elizabeth Murray, Forensic History, Crime, Frauds, and Scandals on The Great Courses Plus, Casebook, Jack the Ripper, 
jackthripper.org, jackthrippercsi then and now on YouTube, and whitechapeljack.com. My sources for this week's episode are wikipedia.org, jacktheripper.org, which is an amazing site. Just pretty much all your Jack the Ripper needs in one convenient spot. And rollingstone.com. My sources this week are jacktherippertour.com, facebook.org, whitechapeljack.com, and historyhit.com. Yes, my sources are The Complete Jack the Ripper by Donald Rumbelow, uh, The Five by Haley Rubenhold, jacktheripper.com, uh, casebook.org, and long discussions at The Ton, a pub where there is a monthly discussion of Jack the Ripper in beautiful London, England. Mm-hmm.